those miscreants who are grossly foolish, who are lowest among mankind, whose knowledge is stolen by illusion and partake of the atheistic nature of demons, do not surrender unto me. Omajana Trivanandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshuran Militanyena Tasmai, Shi Guruvena Maha. I hope you all had the opportunity to review these verses in anticipation of the class. Lord Krishna has begun this chapter by anticipating Arjuna's inquiry and explaining his transcendental nature. Specific knowledge about himself is what's being given in the beginning of the chapter. And specific knowledge of how the yogi, because we remember from the end of the last chapter, Krishna emphasized that uh, yogi namapi sarve sam, of all the various practices of yoga, of all the yogis, he who knows me, he's the highest of all. In this chapter, Krishna's begun by explaining he, who he is, and how one can experience him and begin to meditate on him everywhere. That knowledge is, is the beginning, beginning of this chapter. He first begins by explaining uh, very few people are able to to actually see him properly. Uh, in verse 3, out of many thousands among men, one may endeavor for perfection. And of those who have, even, even those that have achieved perfection, we discussed last week, here Krishna is referring to being released from the, the entanglement of this material world. For a human being, that's perfection. To get out of the repeated cycle of birth and death to, to free ourselves from the uh, being re- repeatedly subjected to uh, the laws of karma due to our sinful activity or pious activity. Both things are truly uh, insignificant from a spiritual point of view. Whether we're suffering for some misdeed or we're enjoying from some proper deed Whatever that suffering or enjoyment may be, it has nothing to do with the real deed at hand, which is serving Krishna with all of our hearts. Even though one is perfect, and they've even attained that much perfection that they're no longer influenced by suffering and enjoyments in this world, hardly one knows me in truth. So thousands of men, hardly one becomes perfect, and thousands of perfect men... Hardly one knows me in truth. Krishna is making, making a very, he's really, you know, sharpening the pencil here. This is, these are the devotees here. They, they, they have some specific characteristics. They know me in truth. You can also know me in truth. Let me tell you how you can begin to recognize me. First of all, know that the energy, the material energy, is, it's just a spark of my splendor. And these are the, Here's the nature of this energy. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. It's separated material energy, but it's all coming from me. That's verse 4. Then he goes on. Besides this, there's spiritual energy. And that spiritual energy are all the living entities. 
that are that are struggling with these material elements. So that's text five. All created beings have their source in these two energies. Meaning that when the Supreme Lord creates the material universe for the enjoyment of the living entities and as part of his transcendental pastime, as Karna Dakshai Vishnu, he manifests this material world. For his Leela and for our supposed enjoyment, <laughs> he creates. And the source of all the living entities is in these two energies. My spiritual potency, which is my part and parcel energy, which are those living entities, and the external elements of the material world. But know for sure that I am the source of both of these energies and I am the creator, the maintainer, and ultimately the destroyer of the manifest world. There's no truth superior than me. Everything rests on me. How? As a pearl strung on a thread. It's hard for us to perceive it, but there is something holding everything together. That's Krishna. That's the beginning place where we can see that energy that holds it all together, that keeps us in our body, that gives us a body, that keeps us everything that we see, the elements, that energy that keeps this whole thing working, that's Krishna. That's where we can begin to see. That's his energy. That thread that's running through everything, that's making it all work, that keeping it all together. That's where we begin to see Krishna. Then he goes on to some more specifics. You can also know that not only am I that source, specifically, think of everything that's glorious. Think of what is the, what is the source of the living force, the living energy throughout this material world, the light of the sun. You can understand that that's also me. So you can see me there in the light of the sun, in the moon, in the syllable Om, in all the Vedic mantras, and I'm the, the sound in ether. Every vibration we hear is coming about, and we can see also this is Krishna's energy. This is Krishna, the sound I'm hearing. This is Krishna's energy. He's behind it. And I'm the ability in man. Whoa, that means everything that I think I'm doing, that energy that's allowing me to even think that I'm doing it, what to speak of accomplishing it, that's Krishna. That's starting to be all-encompassing, isn't it? The light of the sun and the moon, the syllable Om, and my ability for everything that I accomplish as an individual man, that's also coming from Krishna. That is Krishna. That's where I can perceive Krishna. If it goes right, it's Krishna. If it goes wrong, it's also Krishna. I am the original fragrance of the earth. Fragrance of the earth. What does that mean? That means that you plant a seed that has no fragrance and Krishna makes that seed into a plant, a flower, and we can smell. He's that original. And one thing that Prabhupada stresses through these verses is original. The original, unpolluted taste of water. Original fragrance. 
before you add some chemicals and make it your own fragrance. The original fragrance, that's Krishna. Before we add our concocted idea or our concocted combination of Krishna's elements, the original, that's Krishna. Pure, perfect, complete. Om Purna Madaha Purnamida. Everything that emanates from Krishna is perfect and complete. Sometimes it's also perfect and complete when we're allowed to fiddle around with it and goof it up. Krishna's allowing us to do that. You can't say that it's not somewhat perfect that he's giving us that ability in man to mess everything up. But still, originally, we can know that those things as, as they're manifest uh, through Krishna's potency uh, before we add our two cents worth, our, our, we can see Krishna in there. Once man messes up, it might be a little bit more difficult for us to, to perceive it that way. Like when we see a government that's gone awry due to greed and, and uh, so many things, it's difficult to see that originally the king is a representative of Krishna. But he has to be representing Krishna, not representing uh, some foolish thing. So we're going to talk about a little bit of those foolish things tonight. Uh, I am the original seed of all existence, the intelligent of the intelligent, and the prowess of all powerful men. Mm. I am the strength of the strong, devoid of passion and desire. I am sex life, which is not contrary to religious principles. O Lord of the Bards, Arjuna. Starting tonight, we have like a background. Krishna has, has set up a, a background where we can perceive his energy permeating through everything that we have experience of. He set that foundation in these fir those first verses that we just quickly reviewed. Now, he's going to go on and he's, he's explaining that know that all states of being, because we see that all the various living entities uh, that are within this material world, uh, they're not all situated equally. This isn't, this isn't like everyone's the same. We have to see, we're going to see that there are, there are uh, differences between the way one living entity and another conducts his affairs between uh, one plant and another plant, between one taste of food and another taste of food. So uh, everything that we're going to experience in this world, it's not just one amalgamated equal thing. So the inequalities that we experience, now Krishna is going to explain what, where those, how those come about. So he says, know that all states of being, all these different, different levels of being, be they of goodness, passion, and ignorance, are manifested by my energy. So first of all, know that no matter what those states of being are, Krishna's energy is what puts them in that position. I am in one sense everything, but I am independent. I am not under the modes of material nature, for they, on the contrary, are within me. This advanced concept of spiritual understanding is referred to, it was explained by Lord Chaitanya, Krishna himself, as a chinta beta beta tattva, simultaneously one and difference. 
it's a very advanced concept that most religionists have a hard time with. They have a very difficult time seeing that the Supreme Lord is the source of all the energy. Everything is emanating from Him. He's creating all the diversities. But despite creating all the diversities and basically being in those diversities, in this energy, it's part of Him. He's separate. He's aloof. So this concept of simultaneously one, the one supreme personality of Godhead, and different, all of his diverse energies, is, is a philosophical point that without, without a tinge of devotion, without an understanding which is not influenced by the modes of material nature, very difficult to comprehend for the for for people that proclaim to be religious. They can't see. Prabhupada gives us such wonderful analogies, which come from the Vedas, so that we can we can begin to understand this achinta Veda Veda Tattva. Uh, specifically the energy of the sun. We can see that there is a sun globe but there's also the rays and energy, heat and light of the sun coming from the sun. But the heat and light is distinct from the sun globe itself. So that analogy is given to give us, to give us a clue of how we can understand this achinta beta beta tattva. But it's still a whole. It's still one supreme. We refer to the sun and the sunlight as one energy, one... Yes. Then he goes on to explain in verse 13 that because of the influence of these three modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance, because of the influence of his external energy upon the spirit soul, who is here in the material world, because of these ropes, gunas, the three guna, guna means rope. And if you really want to make a, a powerful rope, then you, you can twine three together, and then it's, it's unbreakable, yes? So those three ropes, goodness, passion, and ignorance, because of these ropes that bind us to accepting an illusion as a reality in this material world, because of those ropes, we can't see Krishna. Deluded by the three modes, goodness, passion, and ignorance, the whole world does not know me, who am above the modes and inexhaustible. Krishna is now giving us clues as to what prevents us. He, he's given us clues at the beginning of the chapter of how we can see him in this world how we can begin to perceive him, how we can seize the background of everything, the thread that the pearls are strung on, how we can see that all the energy and our very life itself is a manifestation of his energy and how the, mo how the, how the different elements are there or, and they're separated from him. They're not spiritual. They're material. Now, what binds us 
to the material? Now he's explaining. What binds you to the material is these, this, these modes of material nature. And I'm the source of that energy, that diluting energy, that maya. I'm the source of that maya that binds you, that ties you up in such a way that you, even though you're spirit soul, you can't see me. Deluded by these modes, we can't see Krishna. So Krishna's making a point here. That's why you can't see me. You can't see that I'm the background. So naturally one's going to say, well, let's, let's cut the rope. Let's, let's, how do we sever this rope of illusion? How do we free ourselves from these modes of material nature? Krishna explains a little bit more. This divine energy of mine consisting of the three modes of material nature is difficult to overcome. But those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. Easily. Not a difficult thing. Krishna says it's easy. Yeah, well, if Krishna says it's easy, it's easy. <laughs> but he prefaces that with what? But those who have surrendered unto me, they can cut the rope. Well, they can't really cut the rope. That's my energy, and I made the rope, and it's really strong. But you surrender unto me, the rope, the rope is dissolved. There's no more rope when you see through the energy, when you see me in everything, and you see me everywhere, and you surrender to me, then the modes of material nature no longer a problem. Now Krishna in these next verses is going to explain those people who never strive to cut the rope. They never strive to surrender. And that's the verse we chanted. Namam duskritino mudha pajyante naradama mayaya prahitagyana asuram bhavamasrita. There's four classes of men, four classes of duskrita. They're uh, miscreants, is how Prabhupada translates it. Discretina, miscreants. As I said, this is one of Prabhupada's longest purports in Bhagavad Gita, where he really explains what are these people that just can't get into the devotional service. Well, it's important that we be able to, to see and make sure that these traits that, that make it impossible for one to surrender to Krishna... That's what Krishna's talking about there. Four, four classes of men who can't surrender to him. And because they can't surrender, the ropes will never be cut. So let's take a look, a close look, at these four classes of men. These four kinds of, of, of miscreants. Ultimately, one day they will. You know. One day? No. One day when? <laughs> It's up to them. It's possible. It's possible yeah. Krishna's, 
Krishna's Krishna's devotees are so merciful. Remember that ocean of mercy? Because you get tired at some point. Tired at some point. And basically Krishna's all merciful devotees are always trying to somehow or other, even these four classes of men, they're trying to give some 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 little bit of mercy. They have to hear the name of Narayan or Krishna. Mm -hmm. Somehow. There's that story in the Srimad Bhagavatam about was it Daksha? Daka? Daksha? About how he, you know, he went off the path and he did everything wrong. But on his deathbed, he was calling out Narayan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His son. He was, he didn't, you know, he was thinking of God. He was just saying the name, Narayan. And the demons came to take him. And then the, uh, the good guys, the angels showed up and said, no, you can't take him. Yeah. Why? Because he's saying Narayan. So, yes. So, so. Sorry. No, it's good. It's good. These four classes, Prabhupada really gets into a detailed explanation, and actually all the acharyas, all the commentators, all their tikas on Bhagavad Gita, their commentaries, uh, they really get into to going over these uh, four classes. So uh, we'll we'll just we will just quickly go over them this evening. I mean, it's already late, but. Uh, the first one, the mudha. Okay, basically a mudha is, well, it's an ass. It's like an ass. You know, and you see in life, you see these certain people have a mentality. They just work like an ass for, for nothing. They, they carry a heavy load. They work for their, you know, their employer. They, they just work and work. And at the end of the day, what do they get? They get a handful of grass, which they could have gone and had anywhere. But no, they don't have the intelligence to just go out and eat some grass. No, they have to find some wicked master who's, who's just like an ass, taken on, uh, you know, as a domestic, as an animal, a, a beast of burden, and uh, he works. So these poor individuals, that's their life, their whole life, like a slave. Slave mentality. Go to any factory in this country and what, what is the mentality of those people? Don't think, just do. Get the paycheck at the end of the week, six pack and the two nights off and uh, pray for uh, forgiveness the next day and go back and do it all again. Day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out and then you're dead. And that's the way they conduct their life. These are called, these are mudha. That is, the, that is what the, is being referred to here. Naradamas. These people, not much differ from the mudha, but they think they know what's going on. Okay? Uh, well, they make up their own philosophy. Civilized form of human life. Basically... Uh, to, to differentiate this, these Naradamas from the Mudhas, the Mudhas just just work. They have no no foundation. They just work day to day. And then you, the Naradamas they they follow civilized life, but civilized life means that we we should try to revive our spiritual consciousness. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, having become civilized human beings by practicing devotional service for some time later decide that devotional service is impractical for achieving their aims in life 
and thus whimsically discard devotional service, the symptoms of there being a dharma, naradhamma, a dharma, against religion. Intentionally rejection of devotional services is what Vishwanath Chakravarti says. Balade Vidyabhushan in his commentary says that they're uh, just like dogs that like to eat excrement. <laughs> Eat one, sir? Uh, uh, stool. <laughs> stool. His own thesis. Uh, no. <laughs> in other words, in other words, basically the point is they have some knowledge of what is God and what is religion. They have some knowledge of that, but. Out of their foolish hearted, out of their foolish mentality, they give it up. They give up the pursuit of self-realization and try to enjoy the world. So, a dharma. They're a dharma. So they're men, Nara. But they have awareness, like it says. Like they have awareness of religious principles. They have a philosophical awareness right. of religiosity. Right. Maya prahita jnana. Okay. Maya Maya. Maya prahita jnana. Jnanis. They're thinkers, knowledgeable men. But they base their knowledge on the illusion of Maya. Maya prahita jnana. These basically are your, your uh, all of your foolish uh, frog-like professors. I, <laughs> Prabhupada often uses this term. <laughs> and he explains that. If you've listened to some of Prabhupada's lectures, you've heard his explanation. His explanation being that you have a frog in a well. And you go to the frog in the well and you say, well, Mr. Frog, you're so limited in your perception of things. There's something much greater than what you have knowledge of. You only have knowledge of this small body of water. Do you realize that there is an ocean? Now, the ocean is millions of times larger. Millions? What do you mean millions? How, you know? He says, how much bigger? And he, a frog, you've seen they can blow up. Yeah. So he says, was he this much bigger? <laughs> this much bigger? This much bigger? And all of a sudden, boom, frog's gone. <laughs> Material scientists, Maya Prahitagyana, same problem. There's more than one universe? There's life on other planets? They, there's other living entities? There's a Brahma with four heads? There are people that are living in, in and they can, uh, they can change their form at will. There's yogis who can enter a river in one place and come out on another planet. No. I can't conceive of that with my test tubes and my, my computers and all, my, all of my various <laughs> theories and I can't see the life on the other planet with my spaceships. I've gone there. It was just dust and sand. Maya prahita jnana. They put themselves at, forward as jnanis, as knowledgeable, as knowledgeable people. And they're really, they're in complete illusion. 
They're in illusion. Everything that they base their knowledge on is illusion. And their illusions, well, they change them from one generation to the other. All the earth is flat. No, the earth is round. <laughs> oh, if you eat this, it'll, it'll make you healthy. No, if you eat that, it'll kill you. <laughs> I mean, in every sphere of life, we see mankind is always changing the rules based on the foolish mentality of this class of men. Spank your kid, don't spank your kid. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the doctor's thing. Yeah, yeah, no. Or Freud. Freud's in. No, he didn't have he didn't know nothing. No, Freud knew also No, no. Everything he said, that was wrong. But but we based and we gave and we you know so we can see that this this mentality all this Changing is in all the different fields of, of, of knowledge that mankind thinks he's conquered over. How do you make them change? It's not possible to make them change. Krishna's talking here about four classes of men like who do not change. <laughs> that's there. You're a devotee. You're always looking to, to, to bring everyone up. Yeah. See, that's how you change. You become a pure devotee and then you can change them. See? So that's why you keep bringing this up because you're becoming a pure devotee and you want to change them. It's a fact. All of us, as we become devotees, we want to change these. We want. I was just reading something this morning that came in an email. And Prabhupada was talking about the way the spiritual master deals with his disciple and teaches his disciple. And... He says he, he's, it's a very, it's a very, although he does it with tender loving care, he does not spare the rod of chastisement. In other words, our mentalities are so wrapped up in this foolishness that the spiritual master has to slap us out of it with firm, you know, firm philosophy. And it's sometimes painful for us. We personally experienced when Prabhupada's fifth canto came out. Fifth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam explains the, the construction of the universe as seen through the Vedas. Some amazing descriptions there. And the, the moon is, is further away than the sun. Wait a minute. And a lot of, of devotees, they had a very difficult time Accepting that knowledge of the Veda. Accepting, coming from Srimad Bhagavatam. They had a difficult time because we're so conditioned. And the, so sometimes the spiritual master, he, he, has to, he has to wake us up with a jolt so that we can see things properly and, and, and learn spiritual life. Then we come to the last class of men. Asuras. Now these are basically atheists. There's no God. And if there is a God, I'm as good as that God. I'm God, you're God, we're all God. And these are demons, outright humanity that has no appreciation for the Lord in any of his aspects. 
Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, all these aspects of the absolute truth, they have no interest in. They have no belief in. And there's if if they have any contact with the philosophy of God, they immediately reject it. Or if they have if they if someone if when Krishna actually comes, uh, they immediately reject him and say he's just like an ordinary human being, even though he does some ama- so many amazing pastimes. Uh, of the different men you mentioned, which would you say is the most common? They're all common in this age. Or the largest in population or majority. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> the atheists, the foolish, uh, you know, f- philosophers and uh, scholars who think they know uh, how uh, everything in the world works. I think the atheists would be the minority. You know, it would be only a small portion of the pie. Okay. Well, there's a lot of people who say they believe in God. You know, profess that they do believe in God, but if but when perhaps tested with simple, you know, simple kinds of they're phenomena, not. would say, "Well, I don't know about that." They're not atheists; they're just atheists. more of the Naradama. <laughs> more than Nar- yeah. they reject God because they want to enjoy the world, so they will not follow. They will not perform those activities which will liberate them. Naradharma. In a human form, they they just no dharma. They throw the dharma out so that they can enjoy the world. So that's hypocrisy. Those would be hypocrites. <clears throat> they yeah, have enough knowledge to, to, you know, yes. Yeah. I to guess. say, like, I believe in God, but it's really kind of inconvenient. You know? Yeah, going to church is kind of a, you know... Or like, I, I might go to church, but, you know... You changing know. my life. When it really came to changing and purifying my life... I'm not willing to, to yeah. go that route, yes. Well, like, right. even for, like, so many Christians, even just following Christ, you know, it's like... And yeah, the reason, I mean, what, what holds them back is the fact that, unfortunately, the religious doctrine that they, that they subscribe to is, is such that it doesn't reveal to them the glories of the Supreme Lord and the glories of our true spiritual nature. The fact that they that's what they are in touch with is a result of their desire to enjoy and exploit this world. So therefore, Krishna has to put them in that illusion or they can't enjoy it. Won't, it wouldn't be possible for them to enjoy the world. I'm about to go over my time. I'll, quit. I'll, finish. I'll finish the last few verses. This section of Bhagavad Gita is so rich. It's something that to do in a week, I mean, this, this verse itself, uh, at least we've kind of covered and have a, a basic overview of these four classes of miscreants. Krishna goes on, and maybe we'll just wait till next week. Krishna goes on in the next verses and explains those people who, can, who are above being miscreants, those four classes of people who actually take two and trying to understand Krishna, the Supreme Lord. And what are their characteristics? And of those four classes, three of them, three of them are, are trying to enjoy the world. But they're doing it responsibly. Uh, the karma yogis, they're doing their, their karma, they want to enjoy. Uh, they want wealth, they want to be comfortable in this world. Uh, and or they're just inquisitive, 
but they're inquisitive, but they're still fixed in, in being here. So I think it's already... But they are still in a, maybe not a pure mode of goodness, but they are good people. Right, until they come. And then Krishna explains what is the special characteristic that lets us go on to pure devotional service. Let's us get out of the level of mixed devotional service. All these, all these, all these four classes—they're devotees. They're all devotees. Now, how do we get to that platform of the wise devotee, who, after many births, surrenders? And how can we cut down on the many births? I'll stop there. Are there any questions? Well, I just wanted to say, you just used the expression karma yogis, but karma yoga refers to a form of yoga of selfless service. I'm not quite sure how you were just using it. I'll explain it next week. Okay. Okay. It's the terminology that Krishna uses, the Prabhupada uses in the purport, explaining that those, those karma yogis, they're, they're trying to enjoy their karma. There's akarma, there's karma, karma where we follow properly. Akarma means I have no desire. And uh, vikarma, where I just do whatever I want. All are within the realm of, of karma, of activity within this world. So there is a kind of karma where we act in the world uh, properly, according to religious directive. But our desire is one of enjoyment. We want to enjoy the world. We want to have a good wife. We want to elevate ourselves to the heavenly planets. We want to have good health. We want to have long life. So we, we perform religious activity properly, and that is karma. A karma means I have no desire. Karma means I want to enjoy. And a karma... A karma means uh-huh. I perform my activities, but I don't have any attachment to the result, good or bad. I, I don't really care. I thought it was V karma. V karma means I don't care to follow the pro- proper program. Okay. okay, that's what V karma means. Right. So, so what one karma, one one karma, uh-huh. karma yoga means I'm performing the activity according to the right, the directives and the the laws of the state, and, right. and therefore I won't be thrown in jail, and I'll, you know, everything will go good for me. Right. I'm following all the rules. Mm-hmm. A karma does the same. A, another the, that's karma yoga. A karma yoga is the same, except I don't care for the result. Mm-hmm. I don't care whether I go to heaven. I don't care if I get a good wife. I don't care if I live long or my, I die tomorrow. Uh, I'm doing everything without any attachment to this world. Right. My, my mind is fixed on spiritual matters. V karma means I'm not going to follow the law and I'll do whatever the hell I please. Okay. I'll take whatever I want and I'll exploit the world in whatever way I want and I'll try to enjoy. That's V karma. The, unfortunately, V karma, generally you end up in jail. Yeah, you know, Instead of going and getting a job, making the money and going to purchase something, Legitimately, you just go into the store with a gun and you shoot the proprietor and you take what you want. That's V karma. Right. No. <laughs> a little more direct. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess you're right there. It's more, I like, more like a straight line. <laughs> Any other questions? Thank you very much. Thank you, Duval. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.